hear this story and you'll also be gaining knowledge when you listen to it on how to do these things. I realized that like my concern was really just what people were going to think of my decision and oh my god she's crazy what is she doing she's not you know she's supposed to be pursuing a career this is what she's supposed to be finding a job and I that doesn't appeal to me that never appealed to me. Play a major role in spreading I felt like I couldn't do it, like I'd already failed. I had no idea what I was doing. What did I get myself into? What was I thinking? Our history of humanity really revolves around great people. And that's that's all we know about. And why is that? It's because the insignificant people weren't important enough that somebody would take the time to document their life. everyone, my name is Kaylin Otto and you are listening to The Unruly Podcast. If you are in your late 20s or older than that, you probably remember the days of traveling without a smartphone where we looked at paper maps, where we didn't scour through thousands of Google reviews before deciding on a restaurant to dine in that evening, and where we actually talked to people on the bus who were sitting beside us, even if we didn't speak the same language. That is the energy that today's guest brings to this podcast episode, and honestly, that is the energy that I was living in when I started recording podcast episodes for this show. So I hope that you will just simmer in it with us. This interview made me laugh so much, and I hope that it inspires you to do the same. But because we do live in a world and a time where reviews matter so much, I'm asking you to pause this episode and take just 30 seconds to rate and review it wherever you listen. It is a small action that you can do that means the world to me. And this is your reminder that I am a one-person team. I find the guests for this podcast, write the questions, interview them, record it, edit, put the show together, and then share it on social media. So I do not have a production team like many other podcasters do. So when I see a new review on the show, it honestly means so much to me. I get so excited about it. I screenshot it so I can look at it again later, and it makes me want to keep doing this show. Now, with that being said, today's episode, the main portion of the interview, was edited by my good friend Diani Hall. She has her own podcast called While She's Away, and she is a podcast editing whiz. We are doing a work exchange on some things, and so she went ahead and edited this interview for me, and it was amazing to have someone else do it. That was the first time that I've ever experienced that. So if you really do like this show and you feel like you learn a lot from it, you can always go visit the show at soundcloud.com and you can donate to it through PayPal, which will hopefully help me get an editor in the future so that I can put these episodes out more frequently. Now, without further ado, let's meet today's guest. Welcome to the Unruly Travel Podcast. I'm very energized from our pre-podcast discussion. (laughs) I feel very hyper. (laughs) Me too. Perfect. (laughs) Which really, my first surprise question for you, I made for you when I was feeling very sentimental today. So it's like (laughs) going to take us in an opposite direction for a second. But 
Okay, first of all, can you introduce yourself for us? Give us a little bit of who you are, what you do, what you want listeners to know about you. Absolutely. So I'm Erica Vervo Hackman, and I am a purposeful traveler through and through. I grew up in the same house in Connecticut my whole entire life, and I went to school in Virginia. Halfway through, I sort of fell out of love with my major interior design and decided that I wanted to uh, finish my college degree. But if I was going to have to do that, I wanted to do it on an adventure. And Mm. so I decided to enroll in a semester in my sister campus in Qatar. And it was actually a campus that had been around for 10 years, but no American exchange students had ever been there. What? Uh, Yep. And Qatar was a place that I barely knew about before I was sent on a two-week trip there. So I had already been. Then I signed up for a semester. I ended up staying the whole year. I've been back every calendar year from 2008 until 2019. I have so many friends there from my last year of college. I've been to all their weddings. Anyway, (laughs) getting off track. So I finished my college in Qatar. And while I was there, I actually did a spring break program where I went to like with a bunch of Qatari students to Cambodia. And while I was there, I was having sort of like a mid-college crisis or end-of-college crisis. Like, what the heck do I do after this if I don't want to do interior design? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm in love with traveling. So uh, I decided, I looked around and I was like, you know what? I see a lot of people speaking English and those people seem to have a job in the big cities in Cambodia. And I, I'm sure that I could help teach English. I know how to speak English. <laughs> so I Googled... Uh, how to teach English in Cambodia and ended up finding a program that worked for me in rural Thailand, where I ended up volunteer teaching English, living with a host family of the head English teacher of a high school, and doing that for a number of months before I completely ran out of money and yes. <laughs> uh, ended up getting hired to teach English in South Korea, which was my like honestly so great because I had a wonderful 14 month stint in Busan South Korea teaching English for money and ended up saving $21,000 in that 14 months and then traveled the world for 21 months on $21,000 and living I did uh most notably a program that took me from the Caribbean to Sub-Saharan Africa back to the Caribbean. And I was learning how in that program, I was learning how to live rurally and make a difference in rural communities, like people that lived without electricity or without running water. And uh, I ended up working with farming cooperatives specifically in Zambia. And after about five years of traveling, I decided I should probably go back to Connecticut and hang out with my family before they forget about me. And so I did. And then had what I would call maybe, I don't know, a nervous breakdown at like 25 years old, where I was like, this is not my life. My life was so much cooler. (laughs) And so I ended up at a sustainable living facility in Costa Costa Rica 
like farming yucca and making beer out of turmeric. Yes. And <laughs> building cob houses. And yes. Turning turning our our human gas into whatever that is that powers a stove. Like it was just really cool. So when I was there, I realized, hey, I should probably like make travel a real part of my life and an easy avenue to do that in is you doing it as a career. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I should probably find a job in travel so that I can actually live in Connecticut or with my family, but have travel be a big part of my life. So I ended up meeting this guy, Nomadic Matt, at a meetup in New York City and introducing myself to him sort of creepily and he hired me on the spot yeah <laughs> and I've oh, been wow. working with him for 10 years <laughs> and that's actually how we met so Kaylin was a presenter on the nomadic network which is a community for travelers and yeah that's how we met so just to bring it full circle as to why I'm here. <laughs> Which is perfect because usually I like try to rehash how we met and I'm like, yeah, I think that's how we met. But I like that you go back even further. <laughs> it's like how we actually met because you were being a little creepy and you're just like, hire me. And he's like, yay, okay. <laughs> exactly. Had I not done all those things, the universe wouldn't have aligned for me to be on this podcast. Yes, right <laughs> these people would not be listening right now. Oh my god, that is so good. Well, we're gonna like dive into all these different amazing things that you have done and go over like a lot of the different places you've been to. I didn't know that you were making cob houses too, because usually when I say cob, no one knows what it is. And, you know, I live in a cob house. I've had a cob builder on here. So see, this is the thing. All these really cool people, everything just like I start to interview them and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Okay, but don't test me on anything Cobb related because that was back in 2012 and I could not regurgitate anything I learned while I was there. That's fine. Don't test me either. I just live in a Cobb house. I don't know how to build with Cobb. <laughs> I'd like to no. learn though. Um, uh, my question for you, which, you know, you've been all of these places, you've been all over the world. Usually I ask like a funny or weird question, but the question I landed on for you was, what does home mean to you? Which is like so sappy. And I don't know, you've probably been asked this because people like to ask travelers that, but I would like to ask you this. You know, I've never been asked this question. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> so it's a great question. I, I really love people. Mm-hmm. I love people. I'm a super community enthusiast. And something that I realized, like, way after the fact, way after I got home, was that though I was traveling solo, I was putting myself into situations where I never had to be alone. So, like, for instance, I moved to Qatar, and I lived in a dormitory, and I went to school. So, like, that's communal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then... I moved to Thailand where I lived with a family. That's, you know, it's not communal, it's family living. Um, but then I moved to South Korea, not so communal, right? But I was in a community of, uh, English teachers, native English teachers, which felt very much like its own community. Mm-hmm. And then I went definitely 
the full communal route to St. <laughs> Vincent and the Grenadines <laughs> and Zambia and back to St. Vincent, which was literally a communal, I don't even know what to call it, a community living arrangement. It was, it was a, it was a legit commune. I just wasn't one of the actual commune members. There were members of an actual commune there. Yeah. And same with Zambia. And then in Costa Rica, it may ha- as well have been a commune, but same sort of thing. Like some people live there forever and some people were just stopping in for a while. So I'll say that like, and right now I didn't even say, but I'm married with a two year old and my husband is from Ghana. And so we spend a few months each year in Ghana. And even with that, we live in a house with this family. So mm. I very much look at these places that I've gone and Always, when I think about them, I think of the people that I was with Mm -hmm. the whole time. And luckily, I found out very early on that the best way to just love being abroad is to befriend people that are actually from that country Mm -hmm. (laughs) or that region. You know, in Qatar, I had more than just Qatari friends, but I had a lot of Middle Eastern friends. And so... Uh, luckily, like my, my memories are colored with just like people of that country, people of that region, their customs, hanging out at their house, like sitting around the kitchen table with their family, like, you know, watching TV on a Friday night with like <laughs> their grandparents. <laughs> you know? Yes. This is like what I remember. And of course I did other things that are like quote unquote travel. But when you ask about home, that's definitely what, that's definitely what I remember. Or like rolling out mats in Korea and sleeping on people's heated floors, like (laughs) all together in one room. You know, things that, things that are really hard to replicate when you don't actually have friends somewhere. So I feel really grateful that I have felt like I've had homes everywhere, even if they're just, you know, friends I just made that have welcomed me like that. So, and then if you're talking like in a more specific sense, where do I feel at home? It's like not anywhere really. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it is a hard thing to do to like travel the world, have your friends everywhere and then have to pick a place where you like actually live. <laughs> yeah. And so that is a really hard thing to do. I lived in the heart of New York City for like eight years and that was probably my the best place I could choose because so many people travel through the city that I was able to see a lot of my friends even if they Mm. lived in other countries pretty regularly um but yeah it's really it's really isolating also to have your friends be all over so I'm sure you can relate yeah (laughs) as soon as you said that I was like yes that is exactly it feels almost unsettling. I love it because, you know, you can meet up with them and travel and then when you see each other, it's extra special, but it's just unsettling in a way that, like, the people that you love so much and have such unique, yeah, unreplicatable memories with, I don't know how to Mm -hmm. say that, Um, (laughs) like, you just can't walk over and see them. Most people who aren't nomadic are just doing, you know, with their, their friends and family that they actually live by, so... I totally feel Mm -hmm. that. And I feel that same thing where it's like, I could feel home almost anywhere in the world. And 
it's, yeah, it felt hard to me over the years to pick up one place to live because, I don't know, I kind of feel scattered. Like, little parts of me are in Denmark and in Chile and, like, you know, they're just, like, all over. And I think that's something that people listening who are travelers will relate to. And I also think you made such a good point, even though it wasn't your point, about there's so many people who are scared to travel alone, right? Which now it's like no big deal for me and you. It's like whatever. I I forget sometimes there's people this like really, really scares them. And that's the thing. Like when you're traveling alone, you're never really alone or you never really have to be if you don't want to be. So I wanted to emphasize that because I've just had some friends lately where I'm like, you know, they're my age and they're going on their first trip out of the country and I'm like just go by yourself and they're like oh my god I can't I'll be alone and I'm like please trust that you won't you will not be alone I do feel for people starting now though because pre-podcast recording we were talking about how in the beginning of our travels we were not traveling with phones Mm -hmm. or smartphones Actually, I actually have a very funny thing that happened to me in the Caribbean. I lived in an island on an island called St. Vincent, and it was super hilly. People used to ask for my number all the time, and I would say, it's the tiniest island. Just scream my name. I'll hear you. And people used to scream my name, and I could hear them, like, over a valley because it was so quiet. Oh and it was God. such a tiny island. The whole thing was, like, I don't know, 10 miles. It was so small. Oh my and God. so... You know, I'd hear something and I'd look around and they were genuinely actually screaming your name. (laughs) Oh my God. But you know, I feel for people these days because I have traveled more recently and you know, I'm not just blaming other people. It's also my tendency to just like be on my phone, check Google Maps, check my social media, be on all the time for work and all this stuff. And so it does sort of take away from the, you know, I don't know how many hours I was on a bus from Thailand to Cambodia, mm-hmm. but I don't have anything to do. <laughs> so yeah. I definitely made friends with whoever wanted to talk to me. <laughs> yes. Like your neighbor in the sea, even if they're like way older than you or the person behind you is like offering you gum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a I had a best friend in South Korea who was actually Canadian, but she lived in South Korea for a bit of time. And the place she lived, it was called Jongguan, and it was like it was not in the city; it was outside of the city. So she, you know, could not find another non-Korean person. Not that she was necessarily looking for anyone, but anytime I went to her house. She had all these people that I called bus friends because she had to take the bus everywhere. And she would make friends with all these Korean women that would only basically only speak Korean and they were her bus friends. And then she would invite them oh to like God. karaoke night with us and whatever. It was so fun. It's not like it was just so hilarious that she would make all these friends oh on the bus God. with people that like did not at all speak English. Very yes, cute. I love that she you called them her bus friends because that was like a a thing right that like and then you like run into the same people but now I think most of us are sitting on a bus like you're talking about like on our phones you know what I mean like I'm trying to get people not to talk to me sometimes and then I check myself and I'm like okay wait this used to be the way that I got around this used to be the only way I had friends when I was traveling you know like I need to like get off the high horse and you know just like talk to people 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, like, I mean, you know this, but that's those are the memories that really stick with you for better or worse, positive or negative. <laughs> and many many bus memories have been uh negative or freaky or weird. We'll just we'll call them questionable. Questionable. That's <laughs> that's a great word for it. But like. That is part of it. So, like, for new travelers, have those questionable experiences. Get off your phone. Make bus friends. Invite them to karaoke. Like, it's a great tip. And also, it's like, you have a phone, and all of a sudden, you use Uber everywhere. Oh, Oh, my goodness. I never traveled with Uber, and I never stepped foot in a taxi because that was expensive. Yes. So, I was always on the bus or always on a bike or hitchhiking or walking walking or trains or whatever but i was never in somebody's car when i was traveling ever yeah i used to ride on the top of um in saint vincent they had a lot of like i don't even they had a lot of gravel trucks i don't know why there was a lot of construction or something and people would ride on the top and so then we would ride me and my friend would ride on the top and these Rasta guys would be holding on to us so that we wouldn't fall over because it was very hilly and we were basically on a dome of gravel with like nothing to catch us if we rolled off. (laughs) When I think about the stuff that I did, especially the first five, six years living abroad, I think like, wow, I cannot believe that I'm still alive. I'm so glad I never told my family what I was doing (laughs) before I did it because they would definitely be like, don't do that. That sounds very dangerous. (laughs) And they would be right, is the thing, is that they're not wrong. It makes me think of, like, even now when I, you know, because it's like I share so much on my blog or the podcast. Like, I know my mom comes and listens to this. And then she's like, Kaylin, I can't believe you did that. But, like, at this point, she can, you know? But it just reminded me of, like, this year. For me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I used to do all these dangerous things. And I'm like, wait, I still do. Because even this year when we were in Ecuador, it was, like, the buses that people in the U.S. take if they're going to New York and coming back. The sleeper buses, you know? And it's, like, air-conditioned and whatever. It's, like, one of those, but it was packed. Everyone was in the seats. Everyone's standing in the aisle. The other guy who worked for the bus company was hanging out the door. He had one half of his foot on the bottom step. I was sitting on one of those steps. So we were like bolting down the highway with this guy hanging out of the bus because there was no more room because they wanted to pack everyone in there. And I was sitting on the step and and they were like racing other buses, like racing each other. So like the bus would like tip to one side and then the other and it was super curvy. And I'm just like what like i i'm glad nothing bad happened but had we like been like oh we're just gonna take an uber you know it's like wouldn't be this memory and so different to top it off i had food poisoning the night before and was throwing up all night so i was so nauseous i was literally holding my mouth shut so i wouldn't throw up all over these people and it was you didn't throw up at all no i didn't Erica, I was like this. I was like holding my mouth, like pushing up from under my chin i was like no nope do not do not, because you know that would have just been disgusting and smelly mm-hmm. and gross. But I love that. I feel like I feel like we could just fill this entire podcast with really <laughs> uneasy transportation <laughs> stories. 
I mean, literally, we could. And you know what? I. It's funny because it's not like something you'd usually call inspiring, but I hope that it inspires people to be like, I want these memories too. You know, I want to hang out of the door out of the bus in Ecuador and almost throw up on everyone. So I can yeah. tell my friends or my kids this later on. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I love that. I have to tell you, like, just because you said that. So I hope my ex-boyfriend never hears this, but, uh, <laughs> but I was gifted a trip to Guatemala from my ex-boyfriend, which okay. was so sweet of him. And yeah. Honestly, like so great. It was after, you know, the six, five, six years of living abroad. And so I, had a lot of ideas of what travel should be and what I like to do when I travel. And when I got home from that trip was when I realized that we are not made for each other Mm. (laughs) because I just had a free trip to Guatemala that I can't remember a single thing I did because let me tell you what I did. I stayed at hotels and I ate food. Oh no. I'm sure. I'm sure I did other things. I'm sure. Yeah. I can't remember them because they were so lackluster. And by lackluster, I have nothing to say about Guatemala. It's not Guatemala's fault. Yeah. It is the fault of us just being in the presence of each other. And mm. that's it. Like not being immersed in the community at all whatsoever. We didn't like talk to a Guatemalan person unless it was order food and mm-hmm. I was like this isn't it mm-hmm. this isn't it and if if you think that you know if you enjoyed this trip like we don't belong together because <laughs> I am so much more about community and I honestly don't care eating like dollar sandwiches everywhere I go I don't need to sit at a restaurant everywhere mm-hmm. I just want to be doing stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah which so how would you for people who are new to travel or they've only traveled like the hotel kind of eat at a restaurant and they're scared, right? They're scared. They're like, I don't even know. How do I talk to a local? How do I do what you're talking about? What first step or what tips would you have for these people? Cause I 100% agree yeah. with you. And that's a great way to see if you are a good match or not. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. There's that quote about traveling together to see if you're like really right for each other. Yeah. Um, I wish him well. He actually, that ex-boyfriend of mine travels way more than I do. And I'm sure when he travels by himself, he travels in a crazy way. It was just like what he thought I wanted. And And we've been together too long for him not to know that. Oh, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I would say that. So like I described closer to the beginning of this podcast, I really like put myself in very intentional situations where I am very likely to have people to talk to. Mm -hmm. So a really easy way to do this is just go where you know people and ask to stay with them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So don't be shy about asking if you could stay over, even if it's just the first two nights you land in a place, say like, is it okay if I stay with your family or can you recommend a hotel that's really close or a hostel that's really close to you? And can we hang out for those two days? Mm-hmm. Because honestly, there's no better way than to do it with someone you already feel comfortable with, especially if they live there or if they're staying there. The next best way is to ask people to stay with their friends or their family, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether they're there or not. 
I, you know, one of my best friends, my best family friends in the whole, like our whole family is friends with their whole family. I've known them since I was like three years old. And my friend was living in Dubai, but her family was living in Jordan. And they had a bunch of extra rooms because none of the kids were living in Jordan. And so I was like, hey, I'm coming to Jordan for a wedding for like two weeks. Can I just like hang out with you guys? <laughs> so, Can you adopt so me? I, yeah, I mean, they, I was very comfortable with them because I grew up with them. But it wasn't like any of the kids were there. I was just hanging out with basically like my other parents. Yeah. And so, and, you know, everyone and and people trip themselves up thinking like, oh, like I'm a freeloader or people are going to think some way about me. But I always just think like, I would love it if people came to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I have a guest room in this one apartment. It's the first guest room I've ever had since I had, like since I lived in my parents' house. I have a guest room and I offer it to everyone because i just want people to come to me mm-hmm. i will do whatever once they come to me but it is so much harder for me to go to other people so once you like have that context in your head it becomes much easier to ask people to hang out with them and then the third thing you can do is you could just find some sort of community and sign up for it so whether that is a hostel that's a community or a class a language class if you're going to a place where you don't know the language, that's a community or a homestay, that's a community. You know, you're pretty much guaranteed to be able to meet people in these situations. So I would just say for the new travelers, steer clear of hotels and fancy restaurants because typically people that go to hotels and fancy restaurants do not want to make friends because they're <laughs> usually there with with people they're already with their friends what they're already with their friends yeah they're already with their friends or their family or their significant other or you know whatever so don't go those places go to the places where like solo people solo travelers will go so that you're more likely to run into people yeah that was a really long-winded answer well that's (laughs) that's what we're here for honestly so that was great. I love it because it's just, it's just a good reminder. You know, sometimes I just forget people are going through it. They're just starting. And I have so much social anxiety that I get so scared. I get, I still get so scared meeting people. I've been doing it for like 10 years now, just meeting people all over the world. And it still scares me. But like once you book that hostel or once you book that homestay, you're locked in, right? So you just show up. You just have to force yourself to get there. And then you realize like, oh, it's not that bad. And there's other people here who are looking for the same thing. And mm-hmm. it's like this instant well, bond. Everyone's looking for that all the time. That's just like a That's universal true. truth. Everyone is waiting for the other person to say something to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So there's that. But also, this is another thing. So if you decide not to go the route of hanging out with a friend that lives in another country or a friend of a friend or a family of a friend, and you are actually just with strangers, something that I always tell people in the hopes that it relieves some of their social anxiety is like, if you're by yourself in another country, great, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Have the best day, have the worst day. 
cry all day. It does not matter because who know who's gonna know what you did? Literally, no one. Like, I mean, don't don't be reckless. Don't like go rob a bank because nobody knows you. But like, <laughs> if I always tell people, like, if you feel overwhelmed and you just want to sit in your hostel dorm bed for three days, who cares? Mm-hmm. Who will know unless you tell them? Mm-hmm. Which you're more than welcome to tell them, but also you don't have to. So you can just have your sulky, sulky, like three day <laughs> in bed time. And, and you could totally quote unquote waste three days in Italy or Cambodia where you probably feel guilty for that, but nobody knows, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. And in the grand scheme of things, it's not days wasted. It's days doing whatever you felt like doing at that moment. <laughs> yes. That is. Such a good point. There's like this huge thing that we like wasted time if we didn't go do something cool while we're traveling. And I'm like finally at the point where I'm like, I don't care. Like if I'm going to lay in bed today, I'm just going to do it up. I'm going to go get all the best snacks. I'm going to make the bed as comfortable as possible. You know, like there's there's no shame in that game of just doing what you want to do. And I was thinking about this today, which I feel like you kind of brought up. I wonder if you feel the same way, but like, I feel like if I'm going to go meet new people sometimes, I would rather go meet them by myself than with a friend that I already know, because I feel like there's less pressure. Like if it's awkward, it's fine. Only I experienced it. You know, only I was there to recount it, not like my friend or my partner or my mom. It's like, I don't have to hash it out later. Like when I did that bike trip in the US, it's like, I want to do this by myself because I know that I'm going to mess up and I don't want to be nervous like I'm performing for someone. I just want to see what I can do. And like when I crash into a tree, you know what? It's fine. It's my life. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like. But that's the perfect way to say it. Like, I'm performing for someone. Yeah. That's the beauty of solo travel. I famously, in my own life, say (laughs) that solo travel is super dangerous because it will never make you want to travel with someone ever again in your whole life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's not dangerous for all the reasons that people think it is before they actually solo travel. It's dangerous because you get used to just doing what you want, when you want, with whoever you want Mm -hmm. and like whatever you don't care about anything else not like in a bad way but just in a like you're gonna do you and so if you add anyone else into the mix even if they're like your best friend that loves everything you love you're still adding a layer of like you're not gonna be able to do exactly what you want to do yeah you're gonna have to sacrifice a little bit of whatever's in your head which I feel like Eventually, over time, you'll find out who's worth it to do that for mm-hmm. and who's not, like you mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of talked about earlier. Um, and that's something that you learn later. So I was going to say, if I could go back and do it all again, I would do it the same way. I would go by myself, mm-hmm. figure out what I like first, and then find someone that also likes similar things. But like, are they worth it is the question. Is it worth it to sacrifice what I want to do, you know, while I'm in this new country or whatever, like that feel like for me is like the bigger fear (laughs) more than traveling by myself. Yeah. I mean, now I don't travel by myself barely at all. (laughs) You know, I'm married. I have a baby. And even before that, I had a best friend that I met in St. Vincent and we've gone to like 10 or so countries together. So I've been with her for 
Actually, I've been with her to more countries than I've been with my actual husband. (laughs) But it was really a learning experience. And we met each other while we were living in in the Caribbean. And so we knew that we were great travelers that Mm. really liked to do the same sort of thing. I mean, here we were in this commune at the bottom of a volcano where we basically did a lot of chores all day and, you know, hung out with people from all over the world. And so when we actually left, go together and we would have adventures. And the best part about her was that she just could be on her own. And Mm -hmm. so could I. And at the end of the night or at the end of the afternoon, we'd just meet back up and tell each other our stories, you know? And, uh, it was actually pretty comical because she also lived with me in the, in Zambia. And in Zambia, I lived with a host family, but we had our own little house that was made out of termite clay. And so it was probably like, I don't know, 20 by 10 feet. Okay. And had like a small dividing wall. There was no electricity, no running water, no entertainment. No phones, no computer. We had books, (laughs) we had candlelight, we had things to sew dresses with. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was basically it. And so, you know, in that type of, like, I don't know, pressure cooker is so the wrong word. But in that type of, like, mundane environment, Mm -hmm. I I would say, because it wasn't like we were hanging out with our family. We definitely had our own separate space. So a lot of the time we just spent together. Mm -hmm. So we had a schedule where we were working with farming cooperatives on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then on Fridays, we would go like 25 kilometers into the town. And we would like spend the night separately. Like we, one of us would leave in like a huff and puff. Like, Oh, I can't believe you said this to me. I can't believe you're being so annoying this week. One of us would leave. We'd go to the, uh, to the town. We had like a room we could use in our nonprofit's office. Mm-hmm. And so one of us would sleep there. And the next day <laughs> we would find each other. In the town, both of us would go to the town on Saturday. We would find each other in the town. Immediately, we were very easy to find because we were like the two white people that would ever be there. And so Mm -hmm. they knew exactly who we were looking for. If we looked a little (laughs) bit lost and people would start pointing in the other person's direction and we would just embrace, run to each other and be like, I miss you so much. And we would just like tell each other what happened in the last 24 hours. So we would catch each other up on our lives. So it was like a really wonderful, like this is my travel person. Yes. You know, (laughs) And I love that story so much, which, okay, leads me to other questions, but I do want to make a point for new travelers. Like, that is a great way to find someone you travel well with, because in that story, you were already doing what you wanted to do, and you met someone who also was doing what they wanted to do, and then you're like, Mm -hmm. we can do what we both want to do together, and we can leave each other, which I think is amazing. Yeah, there's only a few people I can travel with, and I've met them traveling, besides my partner, and I think that's just such a great lesson. A question that I thought of, okay, I just, I need to hear more about this a little bit. This like off grid stay that you experienced because I need to know how did you get water if there wasn't running water? Were you like toting buckets? We, we need some details here. Yeah. So we were super lucky in that we had a well like 50 mm. feet away from us at our our host brother's house. So we barely needed to bring the bucket of water. But I tell you, it is hard to carry it on your head. So we basically 
like, killed our back trying to, like, carry it not on our head, and that is not ideal. But a lot of times our, our host family would bring us water because they could all do it really easily. <laughs> and that is the water. So it was all very simple and yet complicated. Right. So we had two gallons. It'd be, like, s- small trash can sort of things with lids on them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's comparable to, like, the height of a chair, mm-hmm. you know, so not that big. And we had two of those. One of them was purified water, which I had a water purifier that tied to a tree. Mm. And the other one was just regular water. And so we would have to like, you know, move the regular water through the purifier. It took forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got that water purifier as a gift from like my mom from REI or something. And I'm so glad because the water was like not drinkable for us. Yeah. And it was really fun. We filtered the water like every two days. We Mm -hmm. filtered enough water for two days. Okay. And that's what we had to carry with us everywhere. And just like bottles that we refilled. So like I'm saying, it's very simple, but it was so complicated (laughs) at the same time because you're like, okay, how much water am I going to drink? How much water do we have left? Should we go get some water? Okay, how much are you going to use for your bath right now? Mm -hmm. Okay, what are you, like, do you need to wash your clothes? Oh my gosh, okay, let's go get more water. (laughs) Yes, which I feel like people don't realize. It's like the system is simplified, but it's more work up front. A compost Mm -hmm. toilet, it's like super simple, super easy to use. But, like, a flush toilet's already installed, all the hard work went in. Mm. The compost toilet, you're going to have to, like, empty out. And I would be interested to hear, do you feel like you prefer that off-grid living type of way? Or do you prefer tapped into the grid, like, how you're living now? Or do you, like, see value in both? I don't know. I just want to know where you are now since you've experienced all sorts of different living situations. So... That's a great question. I will answer it. Like, I really loved my six months there. I thought it was wonderful. I barely had internet. We had internet sometimes on, like, Saturdays when we were in the town. And there was Joe's Internet Cafe. Actually, I'm <laughs> friends with him still on Facebook. He found me, like, not that long ago because I definitely wasn't friends with him like 12 years ago whenever I was there. And so, like, his Internet Cafe was not a cafe. It was, like, a tech shop. And Mm. we would set up our computers, like, in his tech shop on his, like, glass, you know, counters that had all the tech stuff in it. And we would just, like, try to load the internet. (laughs) So, I mean, at the time, I didn't have a very busy life. That's what I was doing. I was Mm. living in Zambia and contacting my family once a week. And so I really loved it. I was actually trying to apply for a grad program while I was there, which was a bit frustrating, but that was like the the biggest thing I was doing. Okay. And so it was actually really lovely to be not connected. And this was also pre, well, I wouldn't say pre-smartphone, but pre the smartphone being omnipresent. You know, some people had a smartphone, but not everyone. And so... It was really nice to feel like, okay, I don't even have a phone. Like, I just, I have a... Just live. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I have, like, a regular computer that sometimes connects to the internet and sometimes doesn't. Mm -hmm. And here I am, like, sewing dresses and talking to people and going to weddings and, you know, farming and, I don't know, washing my clothes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it was 
was like a very simplistic life. Now, I want to acknowledge my privilege there. Like, this is not the place that I was born in. It would be very different if I wasn't just visiting it, right? right? If that was my actual life, it would be so much harder. Like, for one, I probably wouldn't have people offering to help me get my water all the time. Like, <laughs> there's just things that that made it, like, a much simpler life for me, specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, the rent for our house was $10 a month. Mm-hmm. You know, it was... I think we lived on 50 bucks a week or a month there. I think it was 50 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much, but it was not much. We ate fresh food. We uh, lived with a bunch of animals. And so when we, when we actually like cut our tomatoes or cut our potatoes or whatever, there was, there wasn't like, we didn't put it in the trash. We just, put it on the floor because yeah. we were cutting them outside. And then in the morning it would be clean because the chickens would come <laughs> and the pigs would come and the, and the goats would come and the dogs would come. And so it honestly was the nicest, most sustainable I've ever felt or mm-hmm. the, the least wasteful, I guess is a better way to say that I've ever felt because we barely made trash. We barely, you know, barely had stuff Mm -hmm. but then juxtaposing that with my life now like I really like having the conveniences of all the things that I'm doing I have a full-time job I work on the internet I need good (laughs) internet I need good wi-fi I need a nice space to feel like I you know can go quote unquote to the office every day like I, mm-hmm. I work in our little guest room and my son while I hope that he understands that you don't need much stuff it's also really fun to have stuff for him to discover mm-hmm. and to play with and to you know do all that so it's two different two very different lifestyles that yeah. I will say if you told me that I had to live rurally in Zambia for the rest of my life, I would be like, what? (laughs) Like, I do not want to do that. But if you said like, okay, for the next six months or two years, you're going to live in that same location. Okay. I could do that. Mm -hmm. It was nice. It was nice. But like, I would need to know the end date. I would need to know how long I would be there. I don't think I could go there and be like, indefinitely, I'm just going to not have running water. It's sort of like novel. And then it becomes very inconvenient. (laughs) Then you realize how much work it actually is to, like, do things. Which is interesting, because I I like to ask, because for me, it's like, I've always had a hard time settling somewhere. And Mm -hmm. so now that I live off-grid, so but we still have, like, running water. We have solar, so I can charge my phone. I have a hotspot for the internet. I feel like I'm, like, living less wasteful, living an adventure, but still connected your hybrid living. Yes, it's like the best of both worlds, it feels like, which is what I, I need to feel like settled. Like, I, it still needs to feel like an adventure, but like, mm-hmm. you know, I have this blog and having you on the podcast right now, like, still need access to these things. Yeah, so it's always interesting to me, like. But I, I think that's wonderful. Like, I think it's so great to be able to say, I'm not going to do that, like, capitalistic, materialistic life for the next Even if it's just, like, for the next afternoon, right? Yeah. Like, I'm just going to tune out. I'm just going to zone out. People know that I'm not super reachable all the time. So, like, let me just use that to my advantage. I know a friend that used to use a dumb phone 
for a few days a week because she was like, I just can't. Mm, I can't be that person that's always on the smartphone. Like, I need to use my brain. I don't need Google at my fingertips. I don't need all the apps always. But then a few days a week, she uses a smartphone because she lives in 2023. Yeah. Which I I love that, like, just reminding people you can do that. Like, every weekend, you know, I'll be on my phone all week for work because I also work online. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday comes, and it doesn't always happen on Friday, but Saturday, Sunday, I try to put my phone down. Like, put it in the cabinet. If I need to know something, I try to ask someone, like, in person. I read books. I'm trying to learn how to sew. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it's like just that reminder that you can incorporate these things that you've learned while you're traveling or, you know, while you're living an alternative lifestyle and bring it into whatever's most comfortable for you now, which I think is just so cool, everything you've done. And I also wanted to ask, obviously you've talked about it in some ways, but just how different your travel is now versus how it was back then. Now that you have the family, you have a baby, like, is it possible to travel with a child? Would you recommend it? We we need to know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my son has traveled a lot. He's gone on, I think, 20 flights. Including a first class flight, except it was from like Canada to New York. So it wasn't anything significant, but it was cool that we were in the first aisle for that. So he has flown a lot. He's been on trains. I think he's been on a bus. We used to take the train from like where I live now into New York City a lot, and he loves trains. But we've also taken trains in California. Yeah, we've spent a quarter of his life at this point in Ghana, uh, mm-hmm. with his grandparents and his heritage, like his people, right? Like mm-hmm. those are my husband's people, family, cousins, mm-hmm. like everyone there is Ghanaian. And so it's been really cool to have this experience of just like raising my son for many, many months at a time in Ghana. Mm-hmm. And so it's definitely possible. It is so different yeah (laughs) it's not that you can't it's not that you can't hitchhike with a baby I just I don't I question how responsible that is (laughs) yeah that's what like I wonder like can you still do some of these things from your past life with a baby like definitely questionable is there anything you've held on to like I know you said you'll take like trains and stuff is there Mm -hmm. anything that was kind of like that more intense that you did before that you've done now with your kid or is it just like once you're this mom it's like reframed no I feel like the most my pre-kid travels that I've done with my kid is I went to Indiana by myself like my first solo trip with my one-year-old at the time he was like toddling he wasn't even walking but I took him to my friend's house and my friend that I was talking about that I've been to like 12 countries with she now lives in a a short bus that's been converted into like a home that has a composting toilet and she Mm -hmm. lives in Indianapolis in her friend's backyard Mm -hmm. and so I went to go stay with them and so I was staying actually in her friend's house with my with my baby and so I was definitely like staying with a friend doing like things with my baby so it was more similar to my travels like pre-kid than any of my other travels which now involve like hotels and Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
and Ubers and Airbnb whole apartments, you know, where we just, we, we sort of need the space and it's harder to have to say, hey, you have a guest room? Well, do you have two guest rooms? <laughs> like, can you accommodate my whole family? And can you be really quiet after, like, 7.30? Right. <laughs> so it requires more planning. But I will say something that's been so cool about traveling with a kid is just getting to see places in a whole different lens. Mm-hmm. For one, you can't really talk to kids in other countries that you don't know. Yeah. But all of a sudden, once you have a kid, you're totally allowed to do that again. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, Leo, here, make this friend, like, talk to this person. And it it adds, like, a layer of, like, okay, like, we're this whole global community that can interact with each other. But before, you're not going to be like, hey, your kid's so cute. Do you want to come talk to us? Hey, but random now that kid. I have a kid <laughs> <laughs> now that I have a kid, I'm like, Leo, do you want to talk to that kid? so cute you know there's that and then there's like the whole seeing what that country has to offer when it comes to kid entertainment so Mm -hmm. i found this like very random place in ghana called gazebo uh which is in like the middle of a neighborhood in accra and it's sort of broken up into like three areas the first area it's all outdoor the first area is very much like a bar restaurant that's sort of fancy, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then the next part of it is like, it's not under anything. So it's sort of open air outside and there's like a mini golf thing. And then the third part is behind like a gate and you pay like a dollar to, to get in. And then it's a kitty park. It's like a forever Ferris wheel and like festival grounds, but it's not that big. It has like a little Ferris wheel. It has bumper cars it has the teacups ride but all for like kids under 10 and so it was just a such a cool thing to find and had I found that when it was just me like <laughs> why why am I there yeah like okay I'll stay in the first part where it's obviously like a bar restaurant but yeah. also they have a bunch of kids parties and stuff like why am I there yeah don't put me there but yeah. like now that I have a kid I have a reason and it's so cool to see that side of other countries so yeah, I didn't even think of that. Like, you're finding places suitable for kids. It's all these places you would never be in before. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And I feel like I'm a bit of a silly or kitschy or corny personality, and I <laughs> I like that stuff. Like, I could easily go to Disney over and over and over again because it's fun. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> so I really enjoy kids' stuff. And so it's fun for me, too, because it feels like an exciting thing that I'm learning or doing while I'm traveling. It's not like, oh, my God, I have to go to this kids thing. It's like, oh, I love this. <laughs> I I love that you're like that because I feel the same way. Like, I love trampoline parks and bounce houses, like slides. I want to do the water slides. Like, I want to do it all. And my partner and I are always like, we need to borrow someone's kid because if it's just us, we can't get in or it looks really weird, you know? We're like, we need a kid to borrow. Yeah. So I love it that helps. you just have the access to that. Now, mm-hmm. something that I always wonder about, and I heard you speak a little bit about it at Women's Travel Fest, is is it significantly more expensive to travel with a kid? And do you think it can be done on some sort of budget? Yeah, I definitely think it can be done on some sort of budget, just like anything could be done on some sort of budget. You know, Mm -hmm. I lived in Qatar for a whole year and I spent less than 
$10,000 in like the most expensive country in the whole world. Mm -hmm. So I think everything could be done on a budget. It just depends on what you want and what your expectations are. Mm -hmm. So there are some things that I would not recommend saving money on. For example, something that is such a bummer to me now, <laughs> probably better for me, like whether I have a kid or not, it's probably better for me not to take like six red eye flights to get somewhere. <laughs> but, like you can't do that. Yeah. You just can't do that with a kid. You're like, you can, you can try. Like, it, it won't be fun for like a while after you land mm -hmm. and while you're in the air. So like you are now part of the group of people that has to buy the very expensive midday flights that are mm. direct <laughs> mm -hmm. which I never flew in my life I was always up at like three in the morning mm -hmm. trying to make that 5 a.m flight because it was so cheap now I'm like okay 11 a.m oh my god it's double the price okay whatever <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing but the same stuff like I recommend trying to visit friends trying to visit family trying mm -hmm. to stay with them I mean that is the most easy kind of travel because it requires so little mm -hmm. from you and from your baby which sometimes your kid is in a bad mood sometimes you're in a bad mood because you didn't have sleep or something and so mm -hmm. it's better to have like a very low-key travel schedule than like to be in Paris for four days and have a whole list of things that you want to do. Yeah. And like when something gets knocked out of place, it knocks everything out of place. That is not how we live our life. Like in Ghana, when we go there, most of our time is just hanging out with family. Mm -hmm. And so if we like get really hot or tired or the lights go out or something, <laughs> it's totally okay to be like, okay, well let's hang out tomorrow. You know, <laughs> it's not like anyone's day is ruined. It's just, you know, you just, okay, let's do it tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. I love that, you know, you've lived that life before and now you can reflect and tell people if it's possible, because I feel like I know different travelers who are hardcore budget travelers, but they want to have a kid, but they don't want to lose that. And I think that you are an example of someone who's like, incorporated all the different sides of you and your life and your passions and have like made it in this really from what I can tell this really balanced way you know that is so sweet obviously every mom is gonna tell you that there's no balance in their yeah. life but I will say someone said I think it was Ashley Onadell from when I was at TravelCon I brought my husband and baby mm -hmm. um and that was a conference when Leo was like one mm -hmm. and I brought him and I was like a mess it wasn't anything like super terrible it was just so tiring to like be momming breastfeeding mm -hmm. and like helping I want to say run this conference because I didn't run the conference but I am part of the core team that runs the conference you know so to be on and then to feel like I'm feeling guilty because I'm not with my kid, feeling mm -hmm. guilty because I'm not fully present with the people that I'm talking to and meeting and feeling like I'm just being split. And this mom of two, Ashley Onadele, was like, you know, I just want to tell you, you're doing great. And also, 
I did this my whole first year too, because I wanted to go places mm-hmm. and I needed my baby to come with me. So I didn't feel like a terrible mom or so I didn't feel like I was doing things like that were just self-serving. And mm-hmm. it was the only way I could travel was to travel and just be tired the whole time and <laughs> yeah. feel guilty the whole time, but still have my kid with me. And she's like, and so you're doing great. And eventually you'll feel like it's okay to leave your kid and then it'll be even better (laughs) because you'll actually, you know, you'll be able to have conversations and your mind can be there. And Mm. I will say that I feel like I'm at that place where I'm okay to not be with my son. I'm still breastfeeding him, but it's okay if he's off for a few days. Yeah. And it does feel a hundred times better to Mm. have my most of my brain like able to have a conversation with someone I'm in front of that is great because I just like for those people like I still don't know what I want to do myself but for those people because I know some of them it's like is it possible and I like that you just like give that permission slip it's fine the first year or for however many years you're gonna feel like you're torn one side of your brain's here the other side's here like that's fine and you'll figure out a good balance that works for you which yeah so you can do stuff like you did before, mm-hmm. like with some exceptions, once your kid is old enough or yeah. like once you feel like you can leave them for a little bit. Now, I say with some exceptions because I used to go on like the back of everyone's scooter in Southeast <laughs> Asia or, you know, and I knew when I was on the the back of those scooters, I was like, Whenever I decide, if I decide to have a kid, this is like a no-no. Like, I'm not doing this because it's so dangerous. And I'm okay right now. Obviously, I don't have a death wish, but I'm okay right now that, like, nobody is counting on me. But the second somebody does, this is, like, got to be out the window. (laughs) Like, I can't do this anymore because it's so dangerous. Like, way more dangerous than hitchhiking, honestly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) On the back of a scooter. So things like that, I've sort of ruled out. But otherwise, I can go on a trip. I could go with my friends' places. I could go, you know, not on super long trips, I guess. Not yet. But Mm -hmm. I know a lot of parents that travel. And I think it's really nourishing, especially to somebody that has been traveling. It's really nourishing to keep that part of yourself alive. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean... For people that consider themselves like travelers through and through, it is crazy to think like, oh, I'll never get to do the thing that brought me so much joy at any other, you know, ever again. Right. And so I've, I encourage people not to think like that and just to think like, how can I make it work? Like, Mm -hmm. how can I do this thing? How can I continue to travel so that I feel like I'm adventuring either with or without my kids, with or without my family? And so there are ways, there are definite ways. And honestly, it's great to be with your kid all day, but it's also great to have them be with someone else. Get the heck out (laughs) of there. That's what I tell myself. (laughs) Which I feel like your kid will just be so well-rounded in different ways. Like, oh, my mom or my parent is like still their own person. They're still traveling. They take me with them sometimes. Sometimes I go and stay with someone else and, like, get to bond with family. I just think that's Mm -hmm. a really special experience for a kid. Mm-hmm. 100%. I mean, his grandparents in Ghana have seen him more than I feel like his daycare has because they've spent so many days with him Mm -hmm. in six months. 
And yeah, it's a very special experience and it's something that they're so grateful for. I'm mm-hmm. sure Leo will be at some point when he's conscious enough to think <laughs> about what's happening. Like I'm sure he's going to be super grateful for that time. Yeah. And you know, you don't always need your mom and dad around you to whatever, help you or explain stuff to whoever else is there, whatever. You can do stuff by yourself. It like starts pretty young that they mm-hmm. become a little independent. So I would say like to anyone that's thinking about having a kid that's a traveler through and through, like if you're probably going to have one, I wouldn't think that hard about it. If mm-hmm. the question is, do I want a kid? That was a very different question. Right. But if it's like, <laughs> I'm probably going to have a kid, it doesn't matter if you have one now or later, like you can make it work. But yeah, if you're like on the fence, I would think really hard. Like, <laughs> is this what I want my life to look like? Because it is yeah. very different, especially for people that are used to just flitting around the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I'm one of those people. I'm like, I don't know what my life will look like. I don't know what I want it to look like exactly. And so that's such a great reminder because people are always just like, oh my God, I have kids, you know, pushing people. And so I love that you're like, no, think about it. It will be different. It, it will be. Yeah. And and some people, that's just not for them. And some people it is. Um, but it would be so cool if you had a kid being raised in a cob house, not t- glued to a phone and right. bluey or whatever. Right. A rabbit <laughs> running around. Cool. We need more of those kids running around for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Which is why I feel like it's so cool when all these like people who are living alternative lifestyles and traveling the globe and stuff have these kids that are like doing the same things that they're doing. Cause I mean, one, that's a cool experience Two, They're going to be so cool as an adult. I think having like lived all these lives and done all these things. The last thing that I wanted to do on this podcast is give you a chance to leave a note for your kid in the future. So if he ever looks back and listens to this, which who knows what people will be doing like podcasts. Will that still be a thing? I don't know. (laughs) But if you could leave a message about anything, whether it's traveling or just life in general, what would you like to say? Guess I'll just bring it full circle. So dear Leo, (laughs) I love time capsules. Uh, Dear Leo, number one, I love you so much. And I I'm so excited to get to meet you in the future and see how you turn out. But I just want to remind you that people are really cool and to see the good in people and to always try to make other people's lives better. One of the things I thought about all the time I was traveling and especially like meeting people and they were offering me places to stay or things things to do with them or their family I always thought like Erica just make this like enhance this experience for Mm. them and so if you keep that in mind it honestly makes life so much more fun and people are so much more willing to bring you along when you have that kind of attitude so that's my advice you're only two now so (laughs) so far so good travel the world and eventually end up living wherever I'm living also. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I love that. That's also my mom. She's like, go live your life, go everywhere, and then we need to live together. (laughs) 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 Oh, I love it.
world a better place by leaving things better than I found it. You know, whether it be people or the planet or, you know, all kinds of things. Isn't there a quote that says, feel fear and do it anyways? Yeah. 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 So I think for us in significance, we have to do it ourselves. people are doing things in their life they're not completely happy with Mm -hmm. and they're doing it just because you know it's a norm and they feel like they feel pressured by society or they're just you know stuck in this rut Mm -hmm. and you know ruts can be comfortable for people and they can be very comfortable comfort is not how you how you grow as a person